Well, good morning, everyone. Happy, happy Monday to you all. It's uh, so good to see you, and thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. And for those of you who haven't met me, I'm Dan. I'm a pastor here, teaching pastor at Redeeming Life, and I'm excited that we have this opportunity to jump right into God's Word. And today is actually kind of a special day, because if you'll remember, we started this reading plan uh leading us through the whole New Testament, and January 1st, we did an introduction to the Gospels, began with Matthew chapter 1, and today we're at uh, John chapter 21, and we are uh, concluding the Gospels today, and tomorrow we're going to be offering an introduction into the book of Acts, going into Acts chapter 1 and continuing this journey through the New Testament, and uh, I should probably actually uh, put away my toys uh, and not uh, record videos with them on here. But isn't it weird how um, when you find out like the toys that you played with as a kid are actually like marketable in your old age? Like this guy right here, this uh, this flag by itself is actually worth about 20 bucks, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but we're not here to talk about toys. I'm going to put that away so it won't distract me or anyone else. Uh, but yeah, today uh, we're going to be in John chapter 21, as it being the end of the gospel. These are all re resurrection accounts. And the material that you're going to find uh, in John chapter 21, a uh, really fascinating passage, uh, not least because it is all uniquely Johannine. That means that the stuff that you're going to find, the, the accounts of what's about to happen in this chapter, uh, only John records them, but it also has a lot of unique eyewitness material that help to bring us, the distant reader, a little bit closer to the resurrected Jesus, which I'm pretty excited about. I think that's really cool uh, that John is telling the story in such a way in order to offer us some tangible eyewitness account to know that these things actually happened, which is of immeasurable importance for you and for me, because Oh, I'll I'll mention this and then we'll we'll press on and and bring out I think at least at least two different devotional points that we want to make in a, in today's devotional. But in general, isn't it interesting how we can know certain things to be true, but even that when you when you know them intellectually or you've seen this thing that happens and you know it up here that it takes time and it takes experience in order for the thing you know to be true and that reality to actually sink in. Um, so that, uh, for example, I know just as much today as I did nearly seven months ago that my wife is pregnant and we're expecting our, our, uh, a son here very soon. Very excited about it. I know my wife is pregnant uh, just as much as when we had the pregnancy test as I do today. I don't know it any more than I did before. But as this baby is growing, as my wife is experiencing a lot of changes, anatomical changes, uh, that, uh, it's, that, that when those things happen, reality presses further and further and further in to the point where you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is Reality is settling in that we are going to have a child and that uh, this is going to change everything in our lives. And it's exciting, also terrifying when you realize that you're, you have the responsibility of raising a child. 
uh, for the first time. So please pray for me. Um, I need a lot of godly wisdom to prepare for something like that and for my wife. Um, but it's in the same way we can see how it is that even after so many resurrection appearances, up until this point where there's going to be this miraculous catch of fish, that reality is still sinking in. And you know how reality is still sinking in when um, they're coming to realize that Jesus has actually risen from the dead and that because he's risen from the dead, that this actually has to affect changes elsewhere. Because the thing that you'll find out is that for whatever happened in this three years of ministry and these disciples following Jesus and experiencing miracles and Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he's rose, risen again, there looms over their heads this big question, now what? And uh, even with this preliminary offering of the Holy Spirit, as it, you find in, in uh, uh, we talk about in the previous uh, Sunday, that it's you're kind of left um, uncertain as to like, well, where do we go from here now that Jesus is raised from the dead? And the disciples apparently don't know because the best thing that they can do is to revert back to their old vocations. And as they return back to their old vocations, they're discovering just how empty and hollow things were without Jesus. So that when Jesus comes and brings life and hope and fruitfulness to their old vocation, it's like they're coming to realize that the story isn't over. And that God still has work to do in them, to do through them, to do for them, in a way that they might have expected everything just to be done. And... I think that's an important lesson for each and every one of us as Christians because uh, oftentimes we like to determine when God's work in us begins and also to be in charge of when it stops. To say, God, you've done this much for me. I'll accept this, but I would appreciate it if you stopped here. Um, I'm really actually satisfied with the work that you've done in my life and my attitudes and my ambitions and my heart and my um, and my very soul and the depth of my being. You've changed certain things. You've brought me new life. But now I think it's time to call it quits. Uh, Jesus does not call it quits. And he's not going to give up on you. And even when it is that you think that you're done with his work in you, he meets us in the hollowness and the emptiness of our old vocations, the things that we were committed to, and um, and says, no, I'm, I'm not done with you yet. And I'm going to continue this work. I'm going to see this thing through to the very end, no matter what. That's an important lesson that we have to, to, to read, to, to hear today. So let's read John chapter 21 and see what this is all about here. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. 
So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So there's definitely some, uh, uh, this is, this is still John. He's still operating in this symbolic narrative where these features about what's happening carry with them a little bit more symbolic freight than do the other uh, gospels. So that as they're, they're casting their nets and it's nighttime and nothing is coming, they realize that, that what they're doing is fruitless and it's in darkness because Jesus isn't there. They're trying to find satisfaction in their life by getting along without Jesus. They think that, that somehow they can go back to the way things were and everything's just going to be just fine. Just start from square one. And they catch nothing. They're, all of their efforts and their attempts are just come up empty. And it's, it's not good for, for the disciples. Uh, and so, let's see what happens next. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Typical impulsive Peter right there. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Definitely echoes of the feeding of the 5,000, where you can see that this is Jesus, because this is totally characteristic of the one man, Jesus of Nazareth, that he has risen from the dead, and lo and behold, what he was doing before, he's doing it again. Um, this is unmistakably their, their risen Lord. Um, reality is sinking further and further into their hearts and minds to say, oh my goodness, this actually happened. And if this has actually happened, what on earth does this mean? What does this mean for the future of our lives, for our purpose in living? What does this mean? Verse 14, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now, this next passage uh, is about Jesus reinstating Peter, and there's an interesting play on words that uh, does not emerge in any English translation that I'm aware of. And uh, because it's about love, uh, love seems to be at the 
crux of the issue here in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And we only have one word for love, whereas Greek has four. And there's two principal ones that are used here. Agapao, like a covenantal, uh, sacrificial kind of love. And phileo, uh, phileo, excuse me, uh, which has more to do with uh, friendship or a close association. When, so that when Jesus, he asks Peter, do you love me? He's, in the first two times, uses agapao. And Peter uh, suspiciously responds with using phileo. Because phileo, probably to his mind, is one that, frankly, uh, is the one that's in question because he had just denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus returns this question three times. So that this is, in order to be able to reinstate and recover Peter and bring him to a position of repentance and restoration, uh, that love has to be restored. And in the third time that Jesus asks him, do you love me? Interestingly enough, Jesus uses the word phileo. Uh, and why he does so has has intrigued uh, biblical scholars and theologians and continues to to uh, see in what reason, is there any particular reason that, that these words are being used in the way that they are and whether or not there's any theological significance to it. And some say that they're just being used interchangeably or used as synonyms. But I would suggest to you that in the way in which that Jesus is trying to reinstate Peter, that by the third and final time, he says, uh, you know, Simon Peter, do you love me? Phileo, not agapao, the, the covenant love. He responds with phileo. Uh, it's like what, what appears to be happening is that Jesus is meeting Peter at his, at his place, where it's clear that he is not prepared to love Jesus with a covenantal love, but he is actually prepared to meet him at this love of close association and friendship, so that what starts as friendship can be nurtured and cultivated into something that's covenantal and something that's going to last, something that he's eventually going to give his life for. So if there's a lesson to be learned from that is that, yeah, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, if that's where you're at, then that's where we're going to start, in the words of N.T. Wright. Um, we'll, if this is what you can give me now, this is what we'll use in order to be able to bring you back. Um, and it will not end there. But if that's where we have to start, then that's where we're going to start. Uh, and that's an important lesson for us, especially when we think that we've been in the position of Peter where We've failed God. We've made serious mistakes that we knew were mistakes, but we did them anyway. And we're not sure exactly whether there is hope at all. And if there is, what does it even look like? And thankfully, if this is what Jesus is doing with Peter, and he calls us to be his disciples, that he's going to do the same with us. He's going to meet us where we're at and to say, if this is where you're at, then this is where we're going to start. And I'm going to still see you through to the very end. So let's finish. 
says, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Agapao. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you, phileo. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Agapao. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Phileo. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Phileo. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And with that, we conclude our survey of the four Gospels. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Uh, and you can also at, reach us uh, through our podcasts and our daily meetings, or daily meetings, our Sunday meetings at the YMCA in Huntington, Indiana. And I look forward to the times where we'll be able to uh, meet together in person, to learn to love one, one another, and to, uh, to live and act and be the people that God has called us to be, uh, to follow through with what Jesus has begun in our lives, just as Jesus is following through with the disciples and Peter, uh, even at this moment. So God bless you. Uh, may, may God richly bless you um, and accomplish his purposes in and through you, uh, both today, tomorrow, and forevermore kingdom without end. Amen. I'll see you next time.